0: He began his life in one field and then switched to a completely different one. Well, was it really completely different and why the switch? And what does it take to change paths? In just a minute, we will learn this uh, more about this from today's guest. Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Mind Talk. It's now in its 25th year and me. My name is Pamela Brewer and of course I'm barely 25 myself. Okay, well, fantasy aside, I'm very pleased to welcome today's guest, Mark Fuquay. Mark, welcome to Mind Talk. How are you?
1: Thank you, Dr. Brewer. I'm, I'm doing very well. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you today.
0: Absolutely. I am delighted to have you. Now, today you are in practice with a community mental health clinic, but you've led several different professional lives before then.
1: that's correct
0: tell us a little bit about uh some of those lives you have led
1: sure sure well when i was uh in my teenage years i decided that the ministry was where i was supposed to be and so i did college i went to seminary did my divinity and theology degrees and then began uh, as a minister um And then, uh, you know, uh, after several years of doing that, uh, I had always known that I was a gay man, but I could not, you know, reconcile what I had been taught in very conservative fundamentalist religion with who I was at my core. So finally, uh, it just came to a head in my own life, and I decided to leave the ministry, which I did. And then I came out well you know you've got to have some means of income so i went into banking and uh was in austin texas at that time and was doing investment banking for one of the large national national banks um and you know uh after that uh began to live pretty crazy life i will admit that because i had never been out i was kind of like a kid in a candy store and uh to be quite honest, got into uh, drugs and alcohol for a number of years. And um, in addition to that, I had a marketing stint in there uh, where I was marketing director for a company. But, uh, you know, life seemed to kind of go downhill uh, with the alcohol and drug use. But then, uh, you know, just a few years ago, I decided after i have been clean 13 years, I decided that it was time to uh, go back to something I like doing, which is helping people. And um, I decided that I would do my MSW degree and go into clinical mental health, and so here I am.
0: Well, let's go back a bit, because that's quite the history.
1: Yes, I was giving you just kind of the overview.
0: And and, and it's quite an overview. Talk about what your life was like as a minister in the ministry, understanding that as you say, who you were at your core was so different from what you were to teach and espouse in your role as a minister. How how did you navigate that?
1: Well, you know, there was a lot of self-hatred and self-loathing. I just figured that someday, somehow, it would just go away. I mean, after all, uh, the Scripture teaches that, uh, you know, Jesus himself said, if you ask for something, it will be done. And so I took that on faith as a young minister, and I kept praying. I would pray on my face, on the floor, sometimes for an hour, hour and a half at a time, asking God to change me. And then uh, during those years that I was a minister, you know, I was uh, celibate, and uh, I was single. And, uh, you know, that, that just kept that was a pattern in my life, just praying, take this away, take it away, take it away. And, uh, you know, I learned to, that I could minister very, very effectively, uh, mm-hmm. but I had this internal war going on inside of me. And, uh, one day I just, you know, I, to be quite frank, I was filling my gas with my car with gas, uh, on I 20 in Arlington, Texas. And, uh, I, heard this uh, i won't say it was an audible voice but there was something inside that said you sure are a whole lot more worried about this than i am Uh, so that was this that was the moment that i began my journey out of uh the teachings that i had been taught and opened up to a new kind of of way of thinking and it 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 was very difficult very very difficult a lot of self-loathing and a lot of uh, religious trauma that, that I incurred during those years.
0: You know, I, I have to say, what a lovely message, what a lovely voice to hear that someone was a lot less worried than you were.
1: Yes. <laughs> it was like I could breathe. It was, I mean, I was like, did I just hear that, mm-hmm. you know, in my soul? Is that what I just heard? And I'm like, yeah, I know that's what I just heard uh, in, in in the innermost part of myself. Uh, and so that, as I say, that was the beginning of my journey to, as the existentialist theologian, Paul Tillich, one of my favorite theologians, uh, wrote that the only real sin is not being our authentic selves, mm.
0: What was the reaction of friends, families, and colleagues when you came out?
1: Well, I had decided to leave the church before coming out because I was really concerned about what everyone would think and, and how it might damage uh, some of the... You know, when you're a minister, whether you like it or not, the people put you on a pedestal. Yes. And the last thing you want to do, even though you feel that what you're doing is right for you. You don't want to harm them in the process if at all possible. So I left the church. I told them it was time for a new chapter in my life. No one knew why I was leaving. And so when I, when I actually, you know, came out, uh, it, it was a very, very interesting, uh, next three or four years. My family totally, uh, uh rejected me. Um, now, my mother came around after about two years and has become one of my biggest supporters and has learned so much through this process herself and now embraces every flavor of person as uh, one of God's children. Uh, but uh, my father hasn't spoken to me in 15 years. Oh my. my brother really doesn't have anything either. We've communicated a couple of times, uh, nieces, nephews, uh, you know, in laws uh, along the way. So, I, you know, you, you, you it costs you a lot uh, in the situation I was in. It does cost you a lot to be your authentic self. But I think it is only out of that authentic self that we can truly be the catalyst to help others.
0: Now, you know that there are people listening today, unfortunately, as we speak, who are having the same struggles that you had so many years ago in terms of being true to themselves, and as they hear you Mm -hmm. talk about how difficult some of the reactions were, what can you say that would keep them along the path of being true to themselves versus staying hidden?
1: Well, um, first of all, I do think it is getting better, but I also know for a fact with lots of the folks that I deal with on a daily basis in my clinical practice, that there are those that the struggle is still truly real for, as they have families and religious situations that uh, they just cannot imagine uh, coming out uh, as an LGBTQ person. Um, What I would say to them is, uh, it's gotta be your decision it's and and if you decide not to come out, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the first things I, that that we have to be uh, supportive of is, if 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 it's not what you feel like you can handle, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. But if you're struggling and you're working toward that same um, that same um, uh, resolution that I was working toward, I want to say. You may lose some people along the way, but you will gain so much more in that feeling of self-efficacy and that 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 drive of feeling like I am finally being true to myself, and you will also gain a lot of what we call family that's f r a m i l y which is really our family of choice right uh friends uh some of the best people i have ever known i have met over the last 15 years uh in in different circles uh that that have shared the same struggle who know what it's like to live day in and day out trying to hide who they really are. so stay the course i mean nobody can tell you when it's time for you to to make that leap but i will say get into therapy and allow a therapist to help guide you through that process because it's not one to just uh, typically to just, you know, for lack of better words, bust on out and create all this havoc in the wake of it. There there are some ways to do this that will be therapeutic not only for you, but also for the, those that you're coming out to.
0: Mark Fukui, we're gonna take a break and when we come back we will continue. I do want to hear what your thoughts are about the various roles that you took on and how, if at all, your experience in the ministry was helpful in those various professional roles. Folks, my name is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be back in just a moment. Mark, tell us an investment banker, someone who's skilled in marketing, and a minister all live in the same body?
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I think how I might put that is the gifts of the ministry, and what I mean by that is there are certain aspects uh, that we can all identify in those ministers that have led us and guided us guided us, uh, in an appropriate way that are very transferable, uh, to lots of different roles. Um, you know, as an investment banker, uh, you know, that those guiding principles that I live by those ethical principles helped me not to make the fast money on the back of someone uh, else's money. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And I
1: found, yeah. And I found that by treating every person, as a a human being, not as a charge account, but treating every person as a human being who is planning for their retirement, who is trying to plan for their kids' uh, college savings, that uh, they feel that. They know uh, when you, you have that sense that it's just not a job, but you're really trying to help them. And that brought me even more business, just being, you know that kind of of person with empathy and with care and concern uh you're into the marketing role and uh i'm I guess I've always been an outgoing person okay. um I have been uh, characterized as more extrovert than introvert, although as I get older, I'm not so sure about that <laughs> um <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, 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 it was a, a role that I had for about two years, uh, and my willingness and ease of meeting people and talking about what a company had to offer uh, was, in another sense, uh, a, a, a gift that could be used in, again, treating people the way I would want to be, want to be treated, not misrepresenting things just to get a contract, uh... ethical standards and uh... you know that kind of ethical purpose i think that was very uh... very helpful
0: you know a- as i hear you talking about ethics I-, I think about how unfortunately surprised some people or many people are nowadays in particular when they meet someone who was clearly committed to ethical work and ethical behavior uh, I can indeed understand how you were able to get more and more clients with living what was true for you. And that part of that was your commitment to ethics.
1: That's right. That's right. That's one. Of, you know, at the end of the day, if everything else is taken away from us, what we can have for ourselves is our good name and our self-respect uh, and and I think that would be important, you know, for, for any field that uh, where you're going to be uh, dealing with people.
0: Indeed. You used the word self-respect. You also talked about uh, being engaged in the use of drugs and alcohol for a period of time. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that self-respect was at a low during those days.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, there was uh, the assistant district attorney of uh, Dallas County, the ex uh, district attorney, his wife ran an intensive outpatient program for people for drugs and alcohol. And that's one, interesting that you mentioned this because that was one of the first things she said after meeting me only for maybe 30 minutes. She looked at me and said, I know what you want. You want your self respect back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think she even recognized that, you know, the self-respect was gone because you're making decisions, uh, even though, I mean, I look back on it and I know why I did those things. I did it to escape. I did it to uh, not have to feel what I was feeling uh, because of the transition I was making and the people I was losing and and, and uh, you know, the the, the ongoing uh, religious turmoil that was still inside me uh, as I was still trying to come to terms with being okay with me. But at the same time, you know, you you lose your self-respect when you are, you know, a daily user and, and you are numbing yourself on a consistent daily basis. And then you, bec- then you become unemployed and unemployable. Right.
0: You referenced the religious trauma that you experienced. Would you say that was self-imposed or externally imposed or both?
1: I think it was both. Uh, A lot of it was myself. Uh, You know, uh, there is a great amount of self-loathing that comes along with a lot of people who have been reared in uh, highly conservative fundamentalist communities. Uh, in my community, you know, homosexuality was one of the things that they talked about a lot. Uh, it seemed like it was singled out um, more than than a lot of other things. And so you grow up hearing that about, you know, and, and you're sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute. I didn't choose this. This is the way I feel. But I'm now I, I'm being told that I'm going to hell if, if this is who I am. And so that creates a disconnect connect, that creates a dissonance within your spirit and within your psyche uh, that, you know, it, it, that is hard to overcome. Then you heap it on yourself in every action you take, you're, you're hearing that voice that, that is constantly saying to you that you are not okay. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely makes sense. And the idea of not being okay is something that so many people struggle with. And Mm -hmm. speaking of struggles, you talked about the fact that you are now working in a community mental health setting. What does that mean?
1: Well, community mental health is, honestly, uh, it, it is for the underserved, you know, if you have good group health insurance or you have, uh, you know, pri- you're able to privately pay for your own mental health. Uh, you know, you can, you can go to a plethora of different professionals, uh, LPCs, LCSWs, doctors of psychology and uh, psychiatry to receive good mental health care. But if you're on, uh, for instance, in Tennessee, if you're on care or you don't have any insurance, Community mental health is primarily uh, what serves that population. And so you're looking at a population with wide and varied uh, backgrounds, um, a lot of poor people, uh, a lot of people who uh, may not be uh, considered necessarily poor, but they have limited resources. Uh, And so community mental health means you're seeing everyone from the uh, schizophrenic to the what some would call the wearied well. in, in other words, they, they're depressed, they have issues going on, they're in grief, uh, but they're not you know actively psychotic or persistently mentally ill. But you deal with all that. You deal with people who are struggling with transgender issues, People who are on probation for alcohol and drug issues and we're doing A and D treatment. You know, we provide uh, psychiatric uh, medical services. Um, And, I mean, the clientele is, it's an amazing place to work because the clientele really is so varied, and you get to see a lot of different issues, uh, and uh, it's it's very rewarding. The
0: experience of either not having... The financial resources that one really needs in order to live a relatively reasonable lifestyle, and certainly those who are considered poor, those experiences in and of themselves are traumatic, and then you heap on Absolute. whatever else they're going through. It's a lot.
1: Absolutely, yes. You you are, you you get the whole picture i mean some some of these 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 clients we even serve the homeless, of course, who are able to come in and uh, who are trying to get back on their feet uh you know I, I think of one of my clients who moved from another state with only the clothes on his back, mm. uh, you know addicted to to heroin, uh no birth certificate, no i d And, you know, our organization was able, within six months, to help him get all those things and help him, you know, become clean. Um, And so that's part of what we're dealing with. What a traumatic life this person has lived. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have kids who have gone through the DCS, uh, you know, Department of Children's Services, uh, who have had very poor standards of living and all the uh, the, um, uh, the extra things that come along with that in way of lifestyle and, uh, poor parenting, a lot of times being exhibited, uh, with violence. Uh, I mean, very traumatic, uh, you know, be, being poor and, and poverty is, uh, you know, one of the great evils of the world because it, it has such an effect on our children and their upbringing and, and, and the the view of life that they have as I can do anything, you know, it's very limiting. And so you're, you're right, it, traumatic experience of just being poor and having a lot of adverse childhood experience.
0: And then I think uh, many of the society who then will blame one for being poor or homeless, uh, yes. the disdain that sort of drips from some people as they see those folks it can be stunning in its pain
1: it is stunning it is um, well if i may you know jesus said when you do it under the least of these you do it unto me and he was specifically referring in a in a uh, um metaphorical sense of when you give someone a cup of water in my name you you know you, that is what you're supposed to do and in his in his sermon on the mount, he talks about you know the least of these. When you help the least of these, you're doing my work. And so this disdain of poor people. Um, look, nobody wakes up one day and says, "Gee, I love being poor, right. or I love not having enough money to f- to feed my kids." I know some of my clients who have to decide between medication and food. And the light bill and the water bill every month. And these are people who are working. They're working. These are not people, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, um, what am I trying to say here? The uh, idea that some people have in their minds that these are people who are just sitting around doing nothing, wanting a handout. Lots of my clients like this are working people, but they don't make enough money to serve their basic needs.
0: And then, you know, certainly in America you get into the catch-22 in which you make too much for this assistance but not enough for that, and it just gets yes. to be exhausting.
1: Absolutely. You know, when when you can't qualify for uh, Medicaid and you only make, as a family of four, $20,000 a year and you can't qualify for Medicaid, there's something wrong in this country.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And a family of four on that kind of salary, where do they live? You
1: know, right, where- right. And, and with a higher cost of, of housing uh, that is especially in this area, uh, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to live. I don't know how they're going to continue. And imagine, here you are living hand to mouth, uh, metaphorically speaking, check to check to check to check, having to make decisions based on are we going to have enough money for formula or are we going to have enough money for, you know, to feed everybody, and then on top of that, being made to feel like you're scum because of what people say and the attitudes towards you.
0: There's a lot of burnout in your profession, particularly for those who work in community mental health facilities. What do you say to those folks?
1: well i guess again this is where my my background in the ministry informs my my thoughts on this and you know i know not everyone is a person of faith uh but i find that i answer that question by saying you know we are doing uh the work of faith we're doing the work of of what you know jesus buddha Muhammad. all these folks said to, you know, to love one another and care for each other. Uh, so we're doing that work. And that ought to give us some sense of purpose. And even on those days when we are, are feeling low uh, and burnt out. But I will say also that even though that is true, we have to take steps uh, to take care of ourselves. We have to do that. We have to have our own time. Luckily, I drive an hour uh, outside of Nashville to work in the clinic that I work in. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I go against the traffic in the morning and against the traffic in the evening, so it's, it's, it's great. But I use my t- my hour to decompress, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I have to find activities that involve something totally different than mental health on a weekly basis to keep me centered and to not start seeing my clients as next, if you know what that means.
0: Absolutely. And so many people, again, who are working in community mental health facilities or the other kinds of agencies that are there to help those in need, so many just get so burned out so quickly. Yes,
1: Dr. Brewer, I see it. And and we've just got to constitute ourselves with a a regimen of self-care.
0: Mark we're going to take a break and when we come back I would just we will just have a couple of minutes but I would like for you to address if you would um, very quickly if you can some of the issues that are particular to the LGBTQ community uh, certainly in light of all the things that we've been talking about so don't go away we'll be right back folks this is Pamela Brewer you're listening to Mind Talk. we're coming back in a minute Mark Fouquet, you've had lives as a minister as a marketer as an investment banker very early on in our conversation today you described yourself as a gay male for those who are unclear what would you say are some of the mental health issues that come up for the lbg uh, tq community did i say that right yes Okay.
1: Yes, <laughs> that you said it just perfectly. In fact, we don't we don't care how you say it if you are trying to be sincere. Let's just get that out there. Okay. okay. We don't we don't care. Um, I think there's some issues uh, that first of all, with acceptance, LGBTQ people are looking for acceptance. It is so hard uh, for us to accept ourselves so often that we need acceptance. From uh, other people, even if they don't agree with with uh, re- from a religious background, accept us as human beings, as people that are deserved to be on this planet and have a good life. The other issue is community. When I first came out, I knew absolutely no other gay person in Dallas, Texas. And so the, I think uh, a great predictor of of a good life. Uh, for an LGBTQ person is finding and identifying with community. Uh, Another issue is empowerment. Mm. I think we have, as many uh, minorities in this country and around the world, find that when you are othered, uh, you can lose that sense of empowerment. Uh, I think LGBTQ people Uh, need to feel that they are empowered to live their lives as they want to live them and uh, without uh, having any different kinds of standards or laws that affect us as opposed to the rest of the country. So that sense of empowerment uh, in in that sense, but also in a sense of of, uh, being that person that you want to be. Does that make sense?
0: It absolutely does make sense. I have uh, we are unfortunately out of time today but I have so much enjoyed your sharing your story and your views and your experiences with with us today. Thank you so much.
1: It it has been my pleasure.
0: And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is available to you on demand by going to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. We are on several platforms, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, you name it. We're probably there, and if we're not, let us know, and we'll figure out a way to get there. (laughs) Again, it's available to you 24-7 by going to... M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. If you'd like to email me or be a part of the Mind Talk program, by all means, at Pamela, P A M E L A, at you got it, M Y N D T A L K dot And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. take care.
1: Thank you.